We want to share today, we've been sharing several times throughout Habakkuk, other God stories of other godly people who have struggled with God at times. Even Jesus we talked about last week. There was a time when Jesus had a hard time understanding the Father. We want to talk about a man named Moses, probably one of the greatest prophets ever to live, uh, certainly in the eyes of, uh, of, the, of the nation of Israel. It was, the, it was this prophet who was going to take the people of Israel from brokenness, from slavery. And in that land of brokenness and slavery is where they lived for many, many years. And if you think about it, uh, that Egyptian area, that Nile River Basin area is a very fertile land. It is where they lived, it's where they served, it's where they were under slavery, but it was also a symbol of brokenness. And now God gave them a promised land, a promised land that they would go to, that one day they, they, would, they would live and they would prosper and they would become. And in that beauty of that promise, that's what they were anticipating. And whenever God called Moses, it's interesting when you read the story in, Je- in Exodus chapter 3, he did not want the calling. He did everything he could to give God the excuse of why not to call him. He's like, I'm not the guy, and I don't understand why you're calling me. So you talk about understanding, misunderstanding God. I don't know why you're calling me. And he gave every excuse imaginable. But God called him anyway. God was going to use him to move the people from brokenness to promise. And it's a beautiful story. Whenever you read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, it says it like this. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egyptians to bring them up out of the land to a good, uh, to, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, just imagine if God came down in a burning bush and invited you in on what he was doing, and he was going to make you somewhat the hero of the story, you were going to lead the people of Israel out, wouldn't you just jump on that? Well, Moses didn't. Moses, I don't know if he didn't want the responsibility, if he felt inferior. Again, the darkness begins to overwhelm you, and you don't want to do that, but God wouldn't take no for an answer. And so he had to step in line. Now, the, the journey or the, 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 the process of going from brokenness, slavery, uh, into the promised land actually may seem like a big difference, okay, in land. Uh, but actually, it's only between, through the Sinai Desert, it's only about 453 miles. Now, only. And when you're on foot and you're hiking that, that's probably quite a bit. And whenever you're hiking it through the Sinai Desert, it's quite a bit. And in that reality, uh, that's where they were going to have to go. But they were going to have to go from brokenness into the promised land, and they were going to have to make that track. Now, I actually yesterday looked up, how long would it take me to walk 453 miles? 453 miles, if I walk six hours a day, and uh, it would take me three weeks. At max, it would take me four weeks, depending on how slow or fast I walked. So think about it like this. They had a maximum of a four-week journey into the promised land. Four weeks, as you know, turned to 40 years. Four weeks turned to 40 years of a journey that God was calling them to. And they got stuck in the land in between. They got stuck in the middle there. They got stuck in, and that's not what God promised. If you look at the verse there, it says, God promised that he would deliver them from the land to another land. 
He didn't say that they would be stuck in the land in between. And as you know the story, and I know the story, and maybe you don't know the story, it's worth reading in Genesis, or excuse me, in Exodus, and read the whole, whole book, because it gives you the whole unpacking. But it's in this time that they get stuck. And they begin to ask God a whole lot of questions. And they begin to complain a whole lot. But here's one thing about it. When you look at it to the far right, what color is that? Green, okay? Colors today is our, is our, is our activity. It's green. What color is it to the far left where it is in brokenness? Thank you so much. What color is it in the middle? Brown. The problem with that is they're going to be for 40 years stuck in the land in between, stuck in a desert, Stuck in the middle between promise and brokenness. And they're going to be in there, but the reality is even as they're in, stuck in this middle ground, they realize they're not there yet. Jeff Mannion, who first shared this message, uh, first shared this uh, content that I just thought this was incredible, he talked about in people that are stuck in the land in between, their statement about, they say about their life is that for now. For now, I'm here. I was here, but now, for now, I'm here, but I'm going to be there. I'm not there yet. I'm here for now. And when you're here, you're not in brokenness, or you're not where you were, but you're not where you're going. So what are you doing? For 40 years. See, what happens in the land in between, you might think that in a desert, there would not be any life, and there isn't much life. It's a different kind of life. In the desert, though, I'll say this. The land in the in-between is fertile for learning and trusting in God. It is a fertile land for learning to do that because they got stuck in that middle. And for 40 years, they were stuck there and having to learn to trust God. In that area, in that state, they actually wanted to eventually go back to Egypt. They said, listen, we don't want to be here. They started remembering the days of brokenness and they started forgetting the darkness of those days. In Exodus chapter 3, he says this, excuse me, it goes on in Numbers chapter 14 verse uh, 3. It says this, why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall on the sword? Our wives and our little ones uh, uh, to become prey, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? I have a question for you. Are you here? Are you in the land in between? The land of promise versus the land of brokenness? Maybe things aren't like they, like you thought they were going to be as you made the move, as you entered into the relationship, as you took the job. Maybe things aren't like you thought they would be. Now, sometimes we get in the land in between and it's because of us. It happens because of us, okay? If your idea of a relationship is where you have a relationship here and a relationship here and a relationship here, guess what? You might be the swinger lifestyle. You might be the hookup person. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to realize as that relationship that one you're married to ends, you're going to realize one day that, hey, I did this to myself. God didn't do this to me. I did this to myself. If I think it's really cool to vape and I'm going to vape and I'm going to wake up one day with cancer in my lungs and I'm going to wonder, well, God, why did you give me cancer in my lungs? And the reality is God didn't give you cancer in your lungs. You gave cancer to your lungs. Sometimes you get stuck in the deserts of life because of what we do to ourselves. Sometimes it happens to us. The people of Israel put themselves there because they didn't believe and trust in what God was saying. So they got stuck for 40 years. 
until that generation was gone. But there was a generation that grew up in the Sinai Desert. There's a generation that grew up in that stuck state. And that was when they got stuck there and it happened to them. It wasn't that they, something that they brought on. They just had to live in the repercussions of it. And sometimes we look at God and we go, God, I didn't do this, but why am I living in the consequences of this? It's because our sin goes further and impacts more people and hurts more people than just us on our brokenness. And God has said in Matthew 5, 45, he said this, he said, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The reality is, his life is going to be hard. And whether you're stuck in the middle and the land in between, or you're still way back in the land of brokenness, looking for your Moses to carry you out, or maybe you're entering into the promised land. I don't know where you're at. Where are you at today? In your soul, in your mind. You even heard Carly share about how she was in this brokenness and she's not in the promised land yet, but she is in that land in between. What are you going to do in the land in between? And so I want to take your phones out and I want us to take a survey. As we finish up this series of messages, I want to figure out where you're at in this journey called life. We're going to have a light pole here that I want you to dial in to 334 three, seven, seven, nine, nine, eight, nine. And then you put in there in your own classification where you see yourself. Are you still in brokenness and bondage? Are you still one trapped in looking for a Moses to come in and, and rescue? Are you in the land in between? Are you one of those who's like, I'm not there yet. I hope I'm certainly not going to be here for the next 40 years. I hope it's only a month. I hope it's only four weeks. Are you, are you a person that's living out the promise? You think, no, I'm in a good state. I'm in the right place. I'm right where I need to be. And God is blessing me in the land of flowing with milk and honey. And again, everyone is on a different part of the spectrum here today. And as we get this, it'll be interesting to see where our people in this room are right now. Where you're at today and where you'll be tomorrow, I don't know. But I pray to God that through this study of Habakkuk, you will have learned some processes that it is okay to question. We talked about that week one. It is okay to doubt. And this week, let's talk about trust. And that's, can I trust God in my land in between? Can I trust Him in this muckety middle? Can I trust Him when I'm stuck here? Find the book of Habakkuk. We'll be there in a moment. We've been talking about Habakkuk uh, now for, again, three weeks. And as you think about him, I want to say to you that even as we finish up Habakkuk today, that he is not in his promised land. In fact, he's going to spend 70 years, maybe the rest of his life, along with the rest of Judah, he's going to spend it under Babylonian occupation and control, maybe even exile, maybe even taken to Babylon. And he's going to be there and he's going to be stuck there. And he has been... He has been sharing with God his deep hurts and his pains and his questions. He's been asking God that. And it's okay to ask God those questions, and we've been talking about that. But as he's stuck there, he realizes that the cure 
was worse than the disease. That yes, Judah was evil and wrong, but what God did to correct Judah and, 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 and the people of God was that he took them into Babylonian, slave, uh, Babylonian uh, exile. And at that point, the cure was worse than the disease. That sent him into uh, perplexed and frustration. And his, he was realizing this, my theology of God is over here, but my reality is over here. And I can't seem to reconcile the two. And some of us in this room today, we've talked about this already, that your theology of what you know about God is here. And everything, you can, you can parse this book, you can read this book, you can teach this book, you memorize verses out of this book, you claim the promises of this book, and that is your theology of how you understand God. But when you come over here and you measure your life, you think, man, my life, I don't see how they line up. How do I reconcile the two? And you'll have a couple of different options. But a lot of people will enter into fear, doubt, frustration. They'll even want to quit. They'll take charge. There are some people who get in a tough situation and they're just going to fix it. And all the fixing that they can do will not fix maybe where they're at. That's one option. But that's not exactly the option that Habakkuk learns to live by. Habakkuk learns in chapter 2, verse 4, we read this last week, all this is in review, and just realizing that what, what, what Habakkuk learned last week becomes a pivotal, foundational, doctrinal statement that has lasted through the New Testament. Two, three different times in the, in the New Testament, Hebrews and Romans and Galatians, is this phrase quoted from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith unknown, uh, unaware, unactualized. I actually don't have it in my possession yet. That's the promise out there, but I'm not there yet. All I have is the promise that God's going to get me there and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to walk in it and I'm going to, I'm going to claim it and I'm going to wrestle with it. And I don't, I don't see it. I can't smell it. I can't taste it and I can't touch it, but I'm going to believe it. And now that walking by faith and trust and obedience, is another option for you when your theology and your reality don't match up. And you will have to make the choice yourself which one you're going to live in because it will not be easy. You will naturally go to the other one, fear and doubt and I quit. I'm going to take charge. I'm not going to live in the mess of chaos of this. I'm going to get us out of this mess. In reality, we need to stop. We need to start writing down what God's saying to us. We need to wait and we need to walk by faith. The land in between may look barren and hopeless, but let me tell you this. The land in between is fertile for the learning to trust God. It is fertile for learning to trust God. How do you trust God when you don't fully align with God? That's a question that I want us to wrestle with today. It's a tension that's been in throughout the entire book. When you think about tension, that is what this book... Most people preach the Habakkuk in one Sunday. They give a little bit of one and two, and they immediately go to chapter three. And when they get to chapter three, they immediately go to the end of the book. And we'll be there in a moment. So don't go there. Don't read the end of the story, okay? But what they do is they make a beeline because it's a beautiful ending of a hymn, of a psalm. But you have to live in the tension for a while. 
That's why we've drugged this out for three weeks is because the reality is, is that you may be in 21 days now into this. You may be 21 years into this and the struggle is real and the tension is there. Where are you going to do with that? What Habakkuk did was he turned to prayer. Prayer became his outlet. He connected with God in prayer and that prayer becomes a powerful part. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then the prayer turns to praise. Praise turns to trust. Trust brings joy. We see this progression in there throughout the book, but we really see it in this chapter. So how is it that I can trust God when I don't fully align with God? I'm not fully on the same page with God. How do I manage the messy middle, the land in between? Three instructions, if you will, for improving your trust in God. Number one, prayer. Prayer is one of those ways. And that is simply relying on God's mercy. Relying on His mercy in prayer, turning to Him. It is exactly what He does. I said in the beginning, that's why we have prayer journals all across the stage. If you didn't grab yours, grab them. They're there this week. So the the reality is, is that this is a prayer journal of Habakkuk. And every chapter, he includes a prayer from him, from his fingertips. This is taken out over a period of time, over the season of time. We come to chapter 3, we see the third and final prayer from Habakkuk's hands and his lips and his heart. And he is not protesting. He is not asking God why anymore. He is leaning in and he is believing in what God is doing. And what he does in this prayer, you see in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet according to the Shigonoth, which I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, But anyway, we'll come back to that in a moment. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. Your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, in the midst of the messy middle, in the midst of the land in between, in the midst of all of the junk, in the years, make it known. This is what I want you to make known, God. This is my singular prayer request. This is if I could write it out in one simple sentence, God. In your wrath, remember mercy. Some of y'all need to write that out. Because you find yourself in the messy middle. You find yourself in the land in between. Not because something that's happened to you, but because of something you've done. That's put you there. And really what you find with the Habakkuk, the word mercy is not a mercy, not, not a word that we use a lot. Yeah, we have a hospital named Mercy. You know, I was born at that hospital. Mercy Hospital. When you think about mercy rule, mercy rule, when does that come into play? That comes into play whenever you've just been shellacked in a sport. And out of mercy, they're not going to embarrass you anymore. It's kind of like the Razorbacks right now. We need the mercy rule, Okay. Because it's not looking good at all. All right? So that's what we need. We need the mercy rule. When you give somebody a mercy rule, it's like, okay, I'm not going to beat you up anymore. I'm going to now let you go on home and cry. And so that's basically what he's asking for. He's asking, hey, God, in the wrath, in the justice, in the doing the right that you're doing to the people of Israel. Notice this. He's not protesting what God has done to Babylon. Babylon making more powerful than Judah, bringing Judah under subjection. He's not protesting that because he realizes this. They're getting what they deserve. You see, this first thing we have to realize is that maybe I put myself in the situation that I'm in. Unless I become self-aware and own where I am, where, that I put myself here, then it's really hard to ever cry out for mercy. 
in wrath, remember mercy. This word reham is the, is the Hebrew word here. And it's a unique word. I want to come back and talk about this, this word. But, but grace and mercy is something that we throw around a lot. We even name it a church, Grace Point Church. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. There's a lot of things in life that just comes because of God's goodness. Every good and perfect gift comes because of His goodness. Everything good in our life comes because of His grace. Salvation becomes a part of His a, a gift of grace to us. But mercy, mercy is the kissing cousins, if you will. It's not getting what you do deserve. I need both God's grace and I need God's mercy. Not only do I need what, not only do I want what I don't deserve, but I also need God not to give me what I do deserve. I need God's mercy in my life. You need God's mercy in your life. He paid a debt he did not owe, Jesus did. He owed a debt he, that we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And it was Jesus who steps in and he pays our debt. And so this is what we do when we pray, when we realize that maybe we put ourselves in the middle. We bring ourselves before God and we say, God, in wrath, in wrath, remember mercy. Would you please, just we, not, not that we deserve it, God. I created this mess. I created this hot dumpster fire. Please, God, I realize I've done this and my part in the play in this. But in this justice, would you remember mercy? That's a prayer that we can pray and every one of us should pray it. This word reham is used in Psalm 103 verse 13. And it says, the father shows compassion, reham, to his children. So the Lord shows compassion, mercy, reham, to those who fear him. God wants to give you mercy. But if you're arrogant and proud and bold and brash and saying, God, I don't deserve this. And God, what's that's the wrong attitude. God, in your wrath, in your justice, remember mercy. The land in between is a fertile soil for learning to trust God. Number two, praise should come from our lips. His prayer turns to praise. Rejoice in who God is. Realizing what Carly shared with us earlier is realizing that God is sovereign. Now, in that statement, that statement is her theology, but her reality is not lining up with that. So what is she going to do? Is she going to bank her life on her reality or is she going to stake it in solid theology of understanding who God is? A lot of people are going to be over here. What we have to do is make a spiritual conscious decision that I'm going to bank it in the truth of who I know God to be. And whenever you go through this, this uh, last chapter of Habakkuk, and I don't have time to read it all, but from verse 3 to verse 16 is nothing less than a praise song written from a prophet who once struggled with God, who once struggled in the situation, just like Carly began to write out those words. So the prophet Habakkuk begins to write out. How do I know it's a psalm? How do I know it's a, it's a song of worship? Because when you look at that, that word that I stumbled on, shiganoth, we'll call it that, is actually also used to refer to Psalms chapter 7. It was a worship song in Psalm chapter 7. It's a worship song in Habakkuk chapter 3. Whenever you go on and you read through, you'll find in verse 9, you'll find in verse 13, you'll find again in verse three, the word selah. That's a word that they use in a, in, in a musical song in, again, Hebrew worship, where you would pause. So this was an act of worship. This was a song given to worship. And I love the very first phrase. 
The very first phrase in in verse 3 of this, one of the first phrases anyway, he says this, God came to Taman and uh, the Holy One, Mount Paran, His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. The earth was full of His praise. The earth was full of His praise. I don't believe in panentheism where God is in the trees, God is in the wind, God is in the, the water. That's, that's, that's idolatry. I believe that God created all of that. He expresses himself just like he does through us. He expresses himself through nature that, that, that literally nature then worships back. We worship back to our heavenly father. He said even the rocks will cry out in worship of him. The earth was full of his praise. Recently, I was in a very exhausted and still struggling with a sense of burnout inside of me. And, uh, but I had a, a trip that was planned that I don't have time to go into all the nuances and uh, things that changed in, in, in the middle of that trip. But it was a trip that Lori gave me the blessing to go ahead and go on. And it was a trip to the Grand Canyon. And it was over a weekend. Again, it was more to go into that. But it was, it was like one of those things that I had the chance I could have canceled and just kind of not made it happen. But she just gave me the answer. no, you need to go. So I went. And when I got there, the first morning I was there, uh, after traveling all day to get there, I got up early that morning, wanted to be there at sunrise. I wanted to see the sun come up over, over the canyon. And I sat down and I had my, I had my ear pods and I, I had my, 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 my music ready to play and I had my journal ready to write and I had my Bible ready to open and everything was ready as the sun begins to come up and it's as if God clearly said, no, keep looking. God clearly said, he said, just keep your head up. Don't put the ear pods in and listen to music. Don't, don't, don't get lost in my word. I want you just to look straight ahead. And I just want you to watch. And what I heard from God in that moment was, I want you to watch worship as God's son rose over that canyon. As I sat on the rim, I just saw the beauty of his creation unfold. And then I go back to my room and I get my Bible out and I begin to study. And for the next two hours, all I'm doing is I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm journaling. And God just filled my soul in the moment of worshiping with nature as the birds sing and everything. And I say all that to say this. I have to remember God in the midst of that messy middle. I have to remember who he is and how he can create canyons and how he can create mountains and how he can create ways through mountains and through canyons. What happens to Habakkuk is his prayer turns to praise. And here's the thing about prayer. Private prayer to God will produce public praise of God. Private prayer with God. My time with prayer and with God through the day, throughout the moments of the day, throughout the hard, hard times, it's going to produce something inside of me called worship. And it's going to cause me to want to worship publicly. I'm not going to have a problem giving generously. 
when I come in this room and I'm a part of a, of a church like this, I'm not going to have a problem because I'm expressing my worship to God. I'm not going to have a problem raising my hands and clapping my hands and, and, and even getting a little Baptist shuffle dance going on uh, or something like that. Because I'm so excited because all week long, all day long, all through the week, I have been meeting and sharing and talking and God has sometimes answered, sometimes he hasn't, sometimes it's been silent, but I am experiencing the presence of him. And I'm experiencing his reality separate from my reality. Prayer gives us the best vantage point to hearing and seeing God. I talked about that last week. Where God's at work, what God's doing, where he's about to move. And I tell you what, we've talked about Martha and Daniel and Abram and Moses and even Jesus. And how they struggled. And remember what Jesus was doing when he was struggling with that? What was he doing? He was praying. He was expressing his authentic self. Father, why are you turning your back on me? Why are you doing this? But you cannot deal with somebody who's lived in the messy middle and not mention Job. What a life. He was from the land of us. Abram was from the land of Ur. Don't get those confused. Uz, Ur. They had two-letter names back then, I guess, for their, for their places that they were from. And as, as Job lived in this world, he was a quite, quite affluent individual. But he was more than that. He was a godly individual. Job 1.1 says it like this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. And when I talk about this man was wealthy, this man was incredibly wealthy. It says on in in that chapter, he had seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, and 500 donkeys. Now, not only do you think about them as the the, the head of cattle and the head of sheep, you don't just think about it like that. Think about this. He had wealth that would make him wealth. So his money was working for it. So he not only had a lot, but he had, he had a lot that enabled him to have a lot more. Camels were used to transport goods, just like they do still with the Fulani tribe in West Africa, transport things across, across lands, across lots of arid, arid lands. So it's like your, your long-distance transportation. He had, he had donkeys. That would be your domestic transportation. He could carry things. He had oxen that could plow the fields. He had sheep that he could use. He, he, could, he, he could gather the wool from. He had all this source of wealth. But what does he do? He rose early in the morning. It says in chapter 1, verse 5, he rose early in the morning and he worshiped God. So he didn't let his wealth get in front of him. He didn't let his wealth overtake him. He had a good perspective. But you know chapter 1 and you know chapter 2. What happens to Job? He loses it all. But this was a man who's upright. This is a man who turned away from evil. This is a good man. How does God let good things, bad things happen to good people? I can understand bad things to bad people. But again, this is the way it works in our world. It rains on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And in that dark when he lost it all, and I don't have time to unpack everything that he lost, he lost it all. He said this about God. In chapter 13, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Though he takes it all from me, I'm going to trust him. Though he takes my health, I will trust in him. Though he may even take my life, I choose trust. 
You will choose doubt, fear, quitting, or you will choose trust, faith, and obedience. There is a cognitive choice that we must make. Now, for the next 41 chapters of the book of Job, does he struggle with this? Absolutely. His friends struggle with it. His wife struggles with it. They're trying to say, this is the problem. You're the problem. You need to fix this. They've got all this bad advice coming his way. He's listening to God. He's talking to God for 41 chapters. It doesn't make sense. How many chapters of your life will not make sense? Will your four weeks turn into 40 years like the people of God? Chapter 42, it says this. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. Job died an old man full of days. Job has a lot of questions for God. And so do you. And though God may take his life, he will trust him. What's your declaration today? that needs to be declared. Even if you don't believe it in here, you're going to declare it in truth out here. And you're going to try to live it. I've given you a challenge every week as these journals are out here. 21-day challenge. If you're first time with us this week, go back and listen to the previous messages. It'll make better sense. But basically for 21 days, I've asked you to, to journal and ask God questions and put them out there. Be real and authentic and raw with Him. But at the same time, I've given you Scripture to read. I want to give you another one. This is in the New Testament. I've given you Psalms the past two weeks. New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and 8. Just four verses. What you're going to do is you're going to find Paul in prison for doing God's will. Just imagine. You go out and you do God's will and you end up in prison? Go figure. That's exactly what happens. But notice what he says again and again and again. It's the most quoted word in all of Philippians. I'll let you read it and study it for yourself. In the land in between, it is fertile soil for learning and trusting God. Number three, perspective. And that's realign your expectations on joy. Realign your expectations on joy. Where am I going to get my joy from? From my circumstances? From my reality? From what I'm living in? Maybe for a while until they get turned upside down. And then you're disillusioned. You're disenfranchised. You're frustrated with God. Where are you going to get your joy we talked about next week, uh, Todd Aaron's going to be here. He's going to share on Sunday morning, but there's so much content he's going to be sharing. He's going to be sharing on uh, Sunday afternoon, and there's going to be a lunch, and you can sign up for that out in the, out in the gallery uh, uh, immediately following in the alcove area. Caleb will be out there. But it's going to be understanding what is your purpose in life? What, what's, what's your purpose out there? What's my purpose? Well, so here, here's the thing is, where's my joy come from? Next week, we're going to talk about what is my purpose. This week, I want to ask you, where does your joy come from? When you, when you look at, when you look at Habakkuk, there was a huge mindset shift that happened inside of him. He starts his journal with questions, question marks. He ends them with exclamation marks. He starts his journal with doubts. He ends with confidence. He begins his prayers consumed by his circumstances. He ends his prayers praising for the God sovereign that he is. For the sovereign God that he is. I said this to you last week. When you realize the size of your God, it changes the size of your problem. What Habakkuk did was he changed the password. He secured his soul so that he couldn't be jacked, hijacked, emotionally hijacked 
by Satan or anybody else. He set things straight. Even, listen to this, his circumstances never changed. But his attitude did. His mindset did. His perspective did. The joy was restored. It came back. Circumstances never change. Reality never changes. But his attitude did. Look at chapter 7, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom. That's not good. You have figs, you want them to blossom, right? Though the fruit. Now there's not any fruit on the vines. Though the produce. The, 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 the produce of the olive fails. And, and the fields yield no food. And the flocks are cut off from the fold. And there's no herd in the stalls. Everything that measures wealth and security, he has right there. Everything that measures success and future and moving ahead, right there. What if none of that happens to me? What if everything is taken from me? Keep reading, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. Where do I get my joy? I get my joy in God, my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He started attaching himself not to his reality, but to his God. His joy, his salvation, his strength all came from him. Let me give it to you in a modern day paraphrased version. If the stock market crashes and the housing bubble pops like like 2008 and my 401k forces me to work another 10 years and there's no food in the pantry to eat and we don't have any money to buy it either and there's no jobs in the company and there's more restructuring coming and war is imminent and terrorists are within the borders and they're threatening our democracy. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. My paraphrase of that would be, yet I am focusing on my Lord, not on my circumstances. He is giving me joy. He is giving me salvation. He is sustaining me with his strength. See, the, the land in between is fertile. For you learning how to trust God. Some of us have never learned how to trust God because we're so self-made. We can fix it ourselves. We have all the answers packaged up. Or we have enough money. We can go get the pill, the person, the whatever. The new job, the new home, the new toy. And we'll, 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 we'll medicate it for a season. God's not wanting us to medicate it as much as He's wanting us to trust Him, to believe in Him. Where are you at right now? Would you bow your heads with me? Some of you are in the messy middle. In the land in between. What are you going to do? How are you going to function? Will you simply allow the circumstances of your reality to dictate the joy, the strength, the perspective of your life? Because if you do, listen, 
It's just every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you do, you will be like 95% of the rest of the world where you will swing with the moods and the seasons and the time. If you choose to trust, to walk as the righteous walk by faith and believe in the God who wants to be your joy, your salvation, your strength, then you can experience Him today. If you're here and you say, Mike, I want to experience Him. I don't know Him like that. Where you're at, you say a prayer something like this. God, I need you. I want you to be my salvation, to bring me your joy, to endow me with your strength. I need you. I can't do it alone. I need Jesus to save me and to make me complete. You tell him in your own words. Prayer partners will be around the room. There'll be some deacons up on the landing, some pastors and spouses around the room. You can go to any of them and just say, hey, this is where I am. I need prayer. I'm stuck in the middle. I maybe got myself here or I was handed this. And I need need strength. I need joy. I need help in this season. Prayer partners, would you get up and move around and get ready? Father God, you know our our hearts, we cannot hide our feelings, our emotions where we're at. We can, but they're not hidden from you. God, would you be so ever, ever, ever real to us in this space and in this time? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?